and about the great heroes of the faith. Well, thank God for that. How blessed they are to be raised in, in Christian homes and that parents are bringing them to a Christian church where they hear the word and uh, where they hear and are taught about these wonderful truths and these wonderful workings of God in the past. Well, we thank God for that. Now, with that introduction, that's kind of a great introduction to our passage. I want to ask you to turn again to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Well, I wonder how you have been doing with all the pressures that you face in life. I have no doubt that you face pressures. We all face pressures of one sort or another. And I wonder how you're doing. I wonder how you're coping with all of that. I wonder if you're if you're doing as well as John and Betty Stam did. I don't know how much you know about John and Betty Stam. They were missionaries, young missionaries, in China in the 1930s. John was 27. His wife Betty was 28. Very young. And um, they had a three-month-old daughter, Helen. And uh, they had been captured by the communists who were raging through China and would do untold harm during that time as well as in the years to come. They were separated from their daughter who survived and they, John and Betty, were taken, they were being taken to a place where their heads would be chopped off. And as they're going, uh, to that place, as they're headed there, somebody who knew them saw them as they were walking by under guard and under threat from these communists who had uh, captured them and were about to execute them. And this man said to John, uh, where are you going? And John's response was, well, we don't know where they're going but we're going to heaven. They were doing pretty well under pressure. Are you doing well in the midst of whatever trouble it is you're having to face every day? And the psalmist talks about trouble. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. These were times of distress. These were times of anguish. Uh, these were times when uh, the world was pressing in and circumstances uh, were crushing. It may have been the invasion of the Assyrians. Don't know for sure. But these were difficult days. And there are times in your life when... Uh, the world is pressing in and circumstances are crushing. Some days more than others, but these are days of trouble and I wonder how you're, well, how you're coping with this. And how you're doing. Well, this is a psalm for days like that. This is a psalm to read. This is a psalm to sing about a mighty fortress. The mighty fortress who was your God. I'm going to think about that, and we're going to think about it under two headings, this first section of this psalm. We're going to think about the biblical perspective on trouble, and then secondly, the believer's comfort in trouble. Just those two things, the biblical perspective on trouble, and then the believer's comfort in trouble, because we're almost always in some kind of trouble after all. So, the biblical perspective on trouble. How are you to understand the trouble that invariably comes your way? A trouble of one degree or another. 
We're not always in the most dire of circumstances, but there's always trouble of one sort or another. How are we to understand that trouble? Well, I suggest there are two things we can consider when we think about the trouble that comes your way. And the first is that uh, troubles are common. Troubles are common. That is, uh, they are the common experience of all God's people. And if you're facing trials and tribulations now, if you remember the severe trials and tribulations of a bygone day, or if you're anticipating severe trials to come, the fact of the matter is that this is the common experience of all God's people. This is not just native to you. This is not just your experience. We all go through it. And Christians in every generation go through it. We read in Acts 14, 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul is saying to these disciples, Don't be surprised if trouble comes your way, and don't think that it's just you. All of us, must go through many tribulations as we enter the kingdom of God. Psalm 34 verse 9 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's not just little and sporadic. No, many are the afflictions of the righteous. John, uh, Job 5 7 says, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So when you sit by a campfire and you see the sparks fly upward into heaven... Remember, let that be reminded to you that we're going to have trouble in this life. That's just the way it is. Uh, troubles can come suddenly. The earth is removed. That's what the psalmist says. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. This trouble can come suddenly. The earth gives way. Uh, perhaps an earthquake where the earth opens up and people are swallowed up. It comes suddenly and it comes without warning. And they study earthquakes and they have all kinds of instruments. But at the end of the day, can they really predict it? I don't know about that. And we can't predict trouble because sometimes it just comes out of the blue. It blindsides us, and there's a knock at the door, and your whole world is changed, and there's a doctor's visit, and your life is irrevocably changed, and your plans are shattered. And James will later say, in the book of James, he says that uh, we fall into various trials. He uses the same word that's used to the man on the, the road to Damascus and we're told that he fell among thieves. He wasn't expecting it. He was traveling along and he's headed for uh, Damascus for one reason or another. And all of a sudden there's danger. And out of the blue there's some danger that has fallen upon him and he's fallen into the hands of enemies. It's come suddenly. It's come unexpectedly. And trouble can blindside us in that way. Trouble can come in a cataclysmic fashion. Just devastating. Taking your breath away. Just shocking in terms of its impact. Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel fame and then a very productive and I think brilliant solo career. He said this, sang this. I don't know a soul who's not been battered. I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's talking about dreams that are just shattered. He's talking about people who've been driven to their knees. The trouble has come and it's been cataclysmic. The mountains, these things that are symbolic of, of that which is tried and true. Mountains which are unshakable. But these things 
have been shaken and they've been torn up and they've been tossed into the midst of the sea. That's the kind of cataclysmic event in your life. That's the kind of cataclysmic trouble that has come your way. Troubles come suddenly and troubles can come with with absolutely devastating force. And then troubles can come in waves. The word trouble here is, is troubled. It's plural. And we understand then, as, as we read earlier, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And sometimes we're just surrounded by troubles. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where it seems that whichever way you look, there's some difficulty And you can't turn in any direction, but there's something that weighs down on you. There's something that's pressing in upon you. There's something that's crushing your soul. And you're looking for relief, and you look this way and that for some kind of respite. But wherever you look, perhaps there's some new trouble and some uh, dawning of another affliction. And these troubles come in waves. It's like the ocean, and you see the ocean, and you stand there and you watch, and there's wave after wave after wave after wave, and it just doesn't seem to stop. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes these difficulties come, and they never stop. Well, you see, my first point here is that troubles are common. All of these things, oh, it's, it's, it's so devastating. It's so crushing. It's so uh, multitudinous. But it's common. We all go through it. Even the Lord Jesus. You read Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. The Lord Jesus suffered greatly in this life. And he faced all kinds of difficulties in this life. And so these troubles are common, and so you and I must never feel sorry for ourselves. We must never sing the old spiritual, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. You know, you sit back and you feel, oh, they don't understand. People come to you and they try to minister to you with a verse or with the truth. You say, oh, you don't get it. You don't understand my circumstances. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Well, that's bunk. That's nonsense. We must not grow discouraged. We must remember that everybody suffers like we suffer. Even the Lord Jesus. And he suffered far more than we ever will suffer. So these are, these are common troubles. We must not, must not feel sorry for ourselves. Again and again, over the last few years, this phrase from Hebrews has come back to me. You've not yet resisted to blood. And so on days when I'm thinking, oh, life is hard. You know, when you feel sorry for yourself, This text would come back to me and say, oh, you have not yet resisted to blood. That's God saying to me, you know, don't be a buttercup. Don't be a baby. Be a man. Stand up. And if you think this is tough, wait till next week. That's what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, oh, this is terrible. And God says, well, if you can't deal with the foot soldiers, wait till the cavalry comes. Wait till the men when horses come. See how you do then. So don't feel sorry for yourself. You say, well, you're just an insensitive man. No, I I don't. I mean, that may be true. But still, in light of the scriptures, we ought not to feel sorry for ourselves. You haven't resisted the blood. I've had people lob a few stones at me, but... They haven't tried to kill me. So just have some perspective. These troubles are common. That's the first thing to understand about the biblical perspective on troubles. These troubles are common. The second is that troubles are opportunities. 
Troubles are opportunities. They're not just inherently and irrevocably evil. They might seem that way to us, but they're not. These troubles are our opportunities to glorify God. Everything you and I are to do is designed so that we might glorify God through it. The way we face trouble is a way we might glorify God. We read in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we eat or drink, we're to do all to the glory of God. So even those activities as mundane as eating and drinking, make sure you do that in a manner that glorifies God. You see, John and Betty Stem, that was their perspective. That in whatever they did, they would glorify God. They would seek in every circumstance to glorify God. And when trouble came, it was an opportunity to glorify God. And remember, we're talking about martyrdom in their case. So they saw that as an opportunity to glorify God. Just before they were executed. So now, a day or so before they were arrested, captured, um, they wrote to their mission board uh, just to apprise them of the circumstances and let them know what was going on. John wrote, they didn't receive that letter. What happened is they were killed and then they, they found the letter in uh, some clothing that had been, uh, had been left behind. And um, John told them about the fact that the communists were around them and that they were in tremendous danger and then at the end of his letter, he wrote this. He quoted Philippians 1.20. This is the text. May God be glorified, whether by life or by death. So, what were they thinking when they saw there are people out there who literally want to kill us? Well, here's an opportunity to glorify God by the way we face this. It's a lesson for us. This is not an easy perspective to see all our troubles as opportunities to glorify God. It's not an easy perspective. And I say that by bitter experience. I know how hard this is. I'm not saying to you, you know, this is really easy, so just do it. It's really tough. And it's tough because our natural perspective is quite different. I think your natural perspective is just like mine, and my natural perspective when it comes to trials and tribulations is I want it to stop. Like, just stop. I don't care about anything else. I want this to, to just stop. I want relief. I want freedom from it. And you see... We must guard against a self-centered attitude. Now, that sounds insensitive, but it's not. The biblical perspective is God-centered, and when we're in trouble, we must not be self-centered. We must not be so focused upon self that our prime directive is to get ourselves into a position of ease. Because it's not all about me. Once in a while, that dawns on me, not all about, it's not all about me, is it? No, no, it's all about God. So the important thing about how you face trials is are you doing it in such a way as glorifies God? That's the important thing. That's the God-centered focus that the Bible sets before us as, as the focus that ought to be characteristic of us. Is God being glorified in the way in which I deal with this trouble? That's to be my concern. That's to be my prime directive. So how am I dealing with these health issues? Am I dealing with these health issues in such a way that God is being glorified? There are troubles in my family of one sort or another. How am I dealing with this? Am I dishonoring God or am I responding to it and dealing with it in such a way as reflects well upon God? How am I dealing with my financial woes? How am I dealing with 
the work problems that I have to face? Am I dealing with it? Am I responding to it in such a way as honors my God? In such a way as reflects that for me, God is my refuge and God is my strength. Am I responding in that way? Am I responding in such a way as, as Paul did? Just turn for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 to 11. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 to 11. We don't know exactly what Paul suffered and was struggling with in these, this situation uh, which he references here. We don't know the details, but uh, it is nonetheless less profoundly instructive. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, what Paul is saying is that he went through this trial, people prayed, he was helped, and the result was that people gave glory to God. So he faced his trial in such a way as glory redounded to God. People praised God, and they looked, they said, oh look, God's his refuge and his strength. Look, God gave him strength in the midst of the most horrendous of situations, praise God. I know people here in this room, and I've watched them suffer, and I thought, praise God for how we strengthen them. I could name names and point people out, but that would be embarrassing for them. But I've seen that. I've watched. And I've been moved to praise as I've seen how God has, has strengthened you, and you've, you've manifested the fact that God is your refuge. And he's given you strength to face oh, tremendous difficulties. See, that's, that's the important thing about trials. Not that you get out of it, but that you glorify God in it. Is that how you face trials? Is that how you respond? Or are you like the disciples in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40? Remember how the disciples responded in the midst of their, it's kind of a little trial, it seems, but it's because we're so familiar with it. But they thought their lives were going to be taken from them. They thought they were going to die. The storm comes and it batters them. And they say, Lord, don't you care that we drown? Well, that's not a good response. That's not a God-glorifying response. That's not a faith filled response. That's, well, that's panic. That's fear. You know how uh, you walk into a room and someone goes, boo, like that, and you go, oh, like that. That was their spiritual response. It was, oh, like that. It's not dignified. It's not honoring to God. Upon reflection, it's a little embarrassing. How do you respond? Do you respond uh, like this? Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I mean, do you respond to the troubles in your life as if you have no heavenly father? Is that how you deal with things? And my response is panic. I have on my desk a little saying. It says, it says, why pray when you can worry? Is that how you respond to things? No, no, we want to respond in such a way as, as honors God and as reflects the fact that we have a, a heavenly Father. Isaiah 43, 1-3 says that we're going to go through deep waters 
and the fire is going to lick at the bottoms of our feet. But God says, I'll be with you. Do we respond by manifesting that awareness that, yes, God is with us, and God will never leave us, and God will never forsake us. So, yes, God is glorified even when we're troubled. So, troubles will come. They're, they're common, and, but troubles come with a purpose. And troubles are opportunities for us to bring glory to God. So, there's something of the biblical perspective on troubles. Now, what about the believer's comfort in troubles? What was Martin Luther's comfort in troubles? Well, he would say, come, Philip. He talked to Melanchthon. You guys know about Melanchthon? Do you hear about Melanchthon? Please nod. No? No? Okay. No? You didn't? Next week. Next week, Melanchthon is going to be really exciting. Don't look convinced at all. Melanchthon's coming next week. Melanchthon was a great friend of Luther's. And uh, well, Luther had troubles. He had tremendous troubles. You guys know a little bit about his troubles, people who try to kill him. And how did he respond to these troubles? Well, one of the things he would do is he'd say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Or maybe at some point he said, Come, Philip, let's sing a mighty fortress, the hymn I wrote. Maybe he did that. I don't know. But certainly he said, come, let's sing the 46th Psalm. To have a biblical perspective on troubles. How do people respond to troubles? How do they find comfort? Where do they look to find help? Yeah, they, look, they look to entertainment. You got troubles, what do you do? Well, you, you find something to binge watch. You, know, you just lose yourself in another world. Or you binge drink. You lose yourself at the bottom of a bottle. You escape in one way or another. Or you just deny things. You know, you ever met people who you seem to live in denial? I've met people, I've talked to people who, you know, they're going to die, but they, they just refuse to accept that. Or the person they love is going to die, but they refuse to accept that they, cl they cling with grim determination to what really is an empty hope. They just deny the facts. Sometimes that's how people, that's how people try to cope. It doesn't help them to cope, to be frank. But that's what they try and try and try again. See, the biblical answer, the biblical comfort is right before us here. God is our refuge. He's the one we should turn to. He's the one we should look to. It's also explained to us in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. You remember the context there. Uh, the people of God are about to be taken captive into Babylon. The hordes of Babylon are going to descend upon them and just wreak havoc and destroy them, and, and raise the city, and flatten the temple. This terrible thing is going to happen. It made Habakkuk weak to think about it. And how does God counsel them and help them? Well, in verses 9 and 10, God, through the prophet, says, Behold your God. How do you cope with trouble? Behold your God. How do you deal with difficulty? Behold your God. What do I do when there's trouble everywhere? Look at God. Because, well, because God's your refuge and your strength. There's an, a tremendous emphasis here. Who's our refuge? God. Who's our strength? God. Who's your help in trouble? It's God. That's what the verse is saying. It's God. We look at other things. We look at other people. We try everything. The biblical answer again and again and again is, is, it's God. Look at God. What do we learn about God? Well, God himself is our refuge. It's God himself who's our refuge. He's our refuge. You see, in the Middle East, uh, they want refuge. 
They want a safe place. They want a little haven because, oh, there's the dangers of the night and the dangers of the day. There's the cold and, and there's the heat. And we need a refuge in the face of severe weather conditions. They needed to run sometimes to fortified cities because, oh, one invading army or another is on the horizon and they're about to descend upon us. Let us run to the city and get behind the walls and we'll be safe. That's our refuge. The Bible says God's your refuge. Run to the towers. God's your tower. So you see, God himself is our refuge. He's our safe place. We see that, that God's our strength. He's our refuge and strength. God's the one who gives us the strength we need. And sometimes you go for a little getaway. Sometimes you run to God and he's your, he's your safe place. But then you need to come back. You know, maybe you come to church on Sunday night. And this is... This is like a haven of rest for you. You're amongst, you're amongst people who love you. You're amongst people who will, I mean, they're going to say encouraging things to you. Once in a while we stumble and we say nasty things, but you know, for the most part, it's a, this is a safe place. It's a, an encouraging place. And oh, it's, it just does you so much good. It's so good for your soul. And it's your haven, it's your refuge. But then tomorrow, you've got to go back. <laughs> Can't stay here. You know, you've got to go back. You've got to face that. You've got to face Monday morning. You've got to face that thing, that person. Some thorns we know have faces. You've got to face that person and, and deal with that issue. Then what do you need? Well, you need strength. It's good to be in a little haven of rest. It's good to be amongst the people of God. I'm amongst friends here. But tomorrow, I've got to... I got to go back and I got to face that. And I, I need strength. Well, God gives us strength, gives us ability. You read Ephesians 3.16. You read 1 Peter 4.11. You read Philippians 4.13. These are verses that talk about the fact that God will give you strength. He'll give you inner strength, Paul says in Ephesians. And the work that you're supposed to do, he says, in 1 Peter 4.11, that work you do with the strength that only God can provide, God gives you strength. He's our refuge and he's our strength. And then we see God's our high tower because in verses 7 and in verse 11, it talks about God as our fortress. That's a, that's a high tower. Not so much a refuge now, but now a high tower. It's, it's you know, you go into the city and, and then not only behind the walls, but there's a top of a tower. You get to the top of the tower and they can't reach you there. You're safe from them. I, I knew two brothers, two pastors in the Philippines some years ago. There was a typhoon there. There's so many typhoons there. And that year there was a typhoon and the waters began to rise and they didn't have a high place. And these two men, these two pastors, I taught them. And they died in, in the floods because they didn't have a high place. They didn't have a high tower. You have a high tower. You have a safe place. And when the, the flood waters of affliction begin to rise, and you think you have no hope, you turn to God. He's your high tower. He's your refuge from the rising flood waters. And what... What I'm saying to you is that it's, it's this God himself who's our refuge and our strength and our high tower. It's God himself. It's the person of God, the character of God, who your God is. That's your safe place. That's your refuge. Billy Joel, I suppose all my cultural references tonight betray my age. Billy Joel uh, used to have a song called You're My Home. Still does, I suppose. You're my home. So it, it's not my house. It's not the brick and mortar. It's you. Of course, with him, it would change because he, you know, his one and only tended to change. He had multiple one and onlys. But uh, at the time he wrote that, he says, you're my home. 
It's not the bricks and it's the mortar, but it's you, your person. Well, that's what's going on here. It's the person of God. And so when you're in trouble, you run to the person of God. And what happens? Well, you think about the person of God and you say, oh, God is wise. Now, this trouble seems to have no inherent wisdom in it at all. It seems to make absolutely no sense. It seems to be chaos. But I know that the God who has orchestrated this and brought this my way has all wisdom. And this, no matter that it seems chaotic to me, it's wise. This is a wise plan. I don't get it. I don't understand this. It makes no sense to me. But it's wise. I know that. I remember God. I've run to that aspect of his character, and I'm beginning to feel safe, you see. And I think about him again. I run to him. I contemplate his character, and I remember that he's able. Oh, he's got power. He has energy. He has infinite ability. And I have none. I have nothing. I have no strength at all. I can't cope with this. I can't lift a finger in the circumstances. But God is infinite in his power. He can give me the strength I need to put one foot in front of another. To get up on the new day and face all that lies before me in it. He, he can do that. And then... I start to wonder, like, what's the point of all of this? And then I begin to think, why has he done this? And then I remember, because, you know, I'm running to him. I'm contemplating his character. And I remember, he says, I love you. He demonstrates it on the cross. It's not just words. It's there on Golgotha. And he loves me so much, he gave his son for me. So yes, even though this situation is so troublesome, but I know it comes to me from the hand of a God who loves me so much, he sent his son. You see, I'm starting to feel strengthened. Oh, I know this has been crafted, this situation has been crafted in love and according to wisdom, and I'll be upheld by omnipotence. You see? I'm starting to feel a little better. I can do this, not in my own strength, to be sure, but God himself is my refuge. God himself makes these promises, and he always keeps them. And so we run to him in prayer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they're safe. Proverbs 18, verse 10. How do we run to God? Well, we run to him when we pray. We run to him when we begin to think of things in light of who he is, in light of the fact that he's wise and sovereign and gracious and kind and We run to him when we think about things in light of who he is. And we run to him when we begin to learn more and more about him. Oh, you come in the middle of your trouble and you're floundering. And what do you do? Well, you don't run to people. You you go to the word. You begin to read the scriptures. And God in his kindness and providential control brings maybe a passage like this along. And you open up the Bible and you read this. You think, oh, Lord, how good you are. You learn more and more about him. And you pray. You know, you pray. You pray the way Elisha prayed. You remember 2 Kings 6, 17, Elisha prays. He's praying for his servant because he wants his servant to understand who God is. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Lord of hosts is with us. Like you're not on your own. You're not left to yourself. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. He's right there. So yes, it's, it's God himself. 
the person of God, the character of God. The second thing is that God alone is our refuge. God alone. Again, the emphasis in verse 1 is that it's God. God's our refuge. God's our strength. God's the present help in trouble and none other. There's only one person in this particular class, and it's the Lord. You and I, you and I tend to trust in other things, don't we? Just turn for a moment to Isaiah 31. Isaiah 31. And uh, the first three verses, Isaiah 31, and beginning at verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they're many, and in horsemen because they're very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult with the Lord. How many times have you and I not done that? We go down to our particular Egypt. And we don't look to the Lord, and we don't consult our God. Compare that with Isaiah 28, verses 14 and 15. Isaiah 28, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. So we think we're going to deliver ourselves from the whip. How? Well, not by looking to God, but by trusting in lies, putting our hope in lies, trusting in that which is not true. You see, the fact of the matter is that sometimes that's what we do, you and I. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, again, in chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was... Now, the trial, he's saying, that trial came to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God. So what's happening there is that afflictions came, and Paul says it came to teach us not to rely upon ourselves, but to rely upon God. You see, to rely upon yourself is a lie, to rely upon a lie. Because you're not able, you're not sufficient. We know the Bible is adamant about that. So if you depend upon yourself, you think you're manly enough, you think you're tough enough, I can cope. No, you can't. You trust in your own ability and your, old, you know, your own manliness to cope. Well, you're trusting in a lie. Some, oh, 20, 25 years ago, I had a, a, a first burnout. And um, burnouts happen for different reasons. And that first time, well, it was because of too much activity. It was too busy. It was because of lack of prayer. And it was because of too much reliance on myself. Simple as that. Then I read a book. I read Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in it, he says, if you do the work of God in your own strength, it's going to crush you. <laughs> and I did. And it did. And I was crushed. And the lesson came to me, don't trust in yourself. Don't do your, just because it's the Lord's work, don't do that work in your own strength. And everything you do, you cannot do in your own strength. Your life, whatever work it is you're called to, to, to do, whatever your vocation, whatever things you do in your life for the glory of God, you can't do any of that in your own strength. If you do, it's going to crush you. God alone is your refuge and your strength, not yourself. Not your ability, not your vaunted, manly strength. So God himself is our refuge, and God alone is our refuge. What happens when you begin to trust in God? 
You say, well, now I'm done with, I'm done with relying upon people. I'm done with relying on this and that and the other. And I'm done with relying upon my own strength. What happens then? Well, you go and you read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, and Paul cries out to the Lord Jesus, help me cope with this, this thorn, whatever it is. And the Lord Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul finds that to be the case. And in his weakness, the strength of God is magnified. And that's what you find. And you begin to run to the strong tower, which is the Lord. You begin to look to God as your solitary refuge and strength. And you'll find his grace is sufficient. And you may have a sense of astonishment. You know, sometimes in the midst of trouble, you look at yourself, you say, I, like, why am I not a wreck? Like, I used to be a wreck. That, that was my thing. I was a wreck in trouble. Why am I not a wreck now? Well, because the Lord's your refuge and strength. Because you're not relying on yourself anymore. You're looking to Him. You'll find 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 to be true. And then lastly, God always is our refuge. It's always, always. The Lord is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. So we won't fear. You know, he's looking to the future now. We're not afraid, even, even if these things happen. Even if the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, even though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, even if... I don't care what happens, you know, I'll be okay. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not masochistic. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not courting it. I'm not enjoying it. But I'm not afraid. I'll be okay. After, Forty years after leaving South Africa, I, I went back in the kindness of God. And, and when, when we left in... 69, the, the last thing I saw was Table Mountain. We sailed out of the harbor, and, and you look back, and you see the mountain, and the city nestled at the foot of it. And then 40 years later, we went back, Heather and I, and oh, I went back, and Heather was with me, and, and I saw the mountain. It was there. It was there in all of its splendor and beauty, and the, occasionally the cloud would come over it, and it would be like they called it the Table table mountain and the table cloth, which is like the cloud, you know, it's oh, just spectacular. I took a picture. I had it blown up. It's in my study. I look at it every day. It's fabulous. And then, well, it's been over 10 years now since I saw that mountain. And I, I'll bet you, if I go back, it still be there. Then mount, because that's what kind of, mountains are kind of like that, you know. They tend not to move. They tend, to be, they tend to stay where God put them. But even if it wasn't there, even if I went back and the city's there, but the mountain's gone. The psalmist says, even if, they, you know, even if cataclysmic things happen where the mountain's taken up and uprooted and tossed right into the bay, still, still, even then, God's my refuge. No matter what happens, God's my refuge. I don't care how cataclysmic it is. God's always going to be the refuge and the strength of his people because we say with the writer of Hebrews, he himself has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's how we face life, you and I who are Christians. You know, I, I've told you before, I have a dear friend, he's not a believer, and he says, oh, he says, I don't, uh, life is tough because I don't know what's coming around the corner next, and it's terrifying. Well, I don't know either, but it's not terrifying because we're in the hand of God, you and I. You know, John Wesley was sailing across the Atlantic. He was going to be a missionary in Georgia, um, but he wasn't even saved himself. It was an effort, effort in futility. And as they're sailing across, it took months to get across the Atlantic in those days, and there were storms on the Atlantic. I've been in the storm in, in, in the Atlantic with 
you know, big ships. And even then it's terrifying. These were little ships, wooden ships. And there was storm after storm after storm. I think there were about four or five. And um, then there was another one. And Wesley, he wrote in his journal, greater storm, afraid. Well, no kidding. And we know what it's like to be afraid. I know what it's like to be afraid. You do too. But we can face that, you and I, or Christians. Why is that? Well, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. And even if, we won't be afraid. Even if the worst happens, we won't be afraid. He's our refuge. He's our strength. So we'll be okay, Christian. You'll be fine. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. And you know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you this. Wesley, he was afraid for more reasons than Christians are. He was afraid because, because he didn't know God. And that's the most terrifying thing of all. I remember waking up in the middle of the night being absolutely terrified I knew if I died, I went straight to hell. That's terrifying. But I'm saying to you, if you're not a Christian, there's an answer to your fear as well. Because Jesus is the refuge for poor sinners like you. You do right to be afraid of death, and you do well to be afraid of judgment. But there is a safe place. There is a refuge, there is a high tower, there is one to whom you can run. And there is one you can come to him and ask him to save you. And he will. And you will be now and forever safe. So come to him and pray to him and ask him to save you. And he will. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, how good and gracious you are to poor sinners. And, oh, Father, we pray that for any who are in our midst tonight, who are listening perhaps, oh, and they don't know you, they're strangers to God and to grace, be merciful to them, we pray, and bring them to yourself that they might find life and safety and forgiveness in Jesus. And we who are your people, help us, help us to be men and women of great faith. Lord, our, our faith waxes and wanes, and, and so often it's so weak. Make us great believers. Make us those who, who trust in you. And when we look around and we, we shake with fear, oh, give us grace to know that you are our refuge and strength, a present help right with us in trouble. And give us then the peace that comes with resting in you. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let's take our hymn books and sing another hymn that speaks of, of this kind of thing.